Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from The Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. Today I am joined by the Genesis Future Director's Award winner, Bryony Shanahan. Thank you very much for coming in and joining us. Um, let's start right at the beginning then. Was your childhood and your upbringing a creative one? Was theatre part of your growing up? Yes and no. So I... Um I grew up, I was born in Stoke-on-Trent and I grew up in Staffordshire all mm-hmm. my life and I was obsessed with uh, sports and kind of drama in mm-hmm. equal measures. So I sort of either wanted to be an actor, I thought, um, or a professional footballer. Oh, wow. For Stoke City? <laughs> well, yeah, I used to play for Stoke City. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. What position was, were you? I kind of was left wing mm-hmm. um, and a bit midfield. Oh, um, wow. So I loved it and I mean, I wasn't. I don't think it was ever a serious option mm-hmm. for me at that point. Um, but I kind of feel like that has been my routine in lots of ways in terms of I kind of see them really similarly mm-hmm. um, like a live a live audience mm-hmm. and um, a live event that's happening that kind of has a structure but can kind of be quite playful and not sure exactly what's going to happen um, but then also alongside that drama kind of as it was then um, I got more and more obsessed with so when I was 18 I was convinced that I wanted to be a classical actor and, mm-hmm. and went and auditioned for drama school um, and luckily got into the foundation at East 15, mm-hmm. which was incredible and kind of changed, totally changed the course that I thought I was heading on. Um, I think I hadn't been exposed to lots and lots of contemporary theatre at that stage of my life, um, and suddenly I was in London and seeing kind of deviate stuff and knee-high stuff and kind of mind being blown on, on a weekly basis, really. Um, so... I decided from from that course that I still wanted to be a performer, mm. um, but I fell in love with um, the contemporary theatre course at East mm-hmm. 15, uh, which was all about kind of being empowered to make your own work. And um, it was as a performer th- uh, that you were interested rather than as a director? Totally. I had no, idea, <laughs> no interest in directing at all for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, but our training work, I say, it was kind of very much about making your own work and devising and seeing us as makers rather than kind of settled into one specific role so we were really lucky we had um, writing sessions with April DeAngelis we kind of we had incredible movement sessions um, and kind of accidentally actually in our third year I um, ended up directing something my first ever piece which was um, yeah it sort of happened someone had to drop out because they were going to do something else and so early the course leader rang me and went do you want to do it and I was like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and I did and kind of loved it and mm really quickly actually after that experience that was yeah in our last term I think and very soon after graduating kind of made the decision that 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 is it that was right for me and yeah and went for it and so was it at East 15 that um you created Snuffbox Theatre yeah exactly so that the first thing I directed um was by Charlotte Josephine who's one of the um the artistic directors of three of us, um, myself and Daniel Foxsmith as well, and we were all in the same year at East 15 and kind of really enjoyed working together and ended up sort of directing. They, they both write um, and kind of directing each other's stuff and acting in each other's stuff. And it was in our graduating year we took... Um, well, actually, we took one piece up to the fringe, but there was another piece as well that was under a different company name at that point, and then it kind of made sense to sort of amalgamate them and, and carry on. And what about your time uh, at the NT Studio Directors course? How did that fit in with, with Snuffbox? Did Snuffbox have to take a, a back s- a seat or anything like that during that time? I think with, all of, with Snuffbox, it's very much all of us um, go off and do other things. So it's not anything that we're kind of 
I think it's really important that we go and work with other people and we always love coming back together but we're not we're not kind of totally tied to going right this is it full time this is what we do it's sort of there when we want a project and we have something in mind um, so the, the studio course was amazing and kind of the first time that I um, <laughs> I sort of called myself a director in mm. lots of ways I think because I trained as an actor and I was just making stuff I, I sort of didn't I don't know for ages I didn't really want to call myself a director um, but the studio was the first sort of director training I suppose mm. I mean I think the acting training was director training too but I guess the, the studio was the first time being around other people that were, were directors and they met some incredible people on the course who you know, stayed in touch with and making brilliant work and also the people that came in to run the sessions were just incredible well, I, I read an interview that you did with uh, a younger theatre recently where you described yourself as an emerging director. Are you still an emerging director? When does an emerging <laughs> director stop being emerging? And what do you, what do you emerge from? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I just get called it quite a lot. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's even a, a negative title. It's just, I think it's, you know, in, in our company, we often get called, like, you know, a promising young company mm. or a company to watch. And it's just an interesting, I think, moment that a lot of people... Um, I've graduated with we're finding ourselves in that kind of gap between we've been kind of out for five or six years and making stuff and actually it's a really big leap to then being able to make stuff on in kind of on bigger stages and away from the fringe I suppose not that I love the fringe but it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to navigate so I have no idea <laughs> but is it frustrating to be labeled emerging does it feel sort of like you know junior or or is it kind of useful in terms of still guiding you towards mm. the next steps that you're going to make in your career? I guess it can be both. I mean, I guess I think the weird thing is that the older I get and the, um, the more stuff I do, the less I feel like I know in mm. some ways. Uh, just because you get exposed to more and more things and you sort of realise, God, yeah, yeah, how huge it all is and how much you have to learn. And I think, you know, I don't think it's an unkind thing at all. Um, it just makes me laugh because I'm kind of wondering where I'm coming from, <laughs> emerging from. Well, you were in that same interview. You you said that you were uh, an enthusiastic sponge, <laughs> but I guess that's that's relevant for everyone, regardless of if they're an emerging yeah. director or not. I suppose. I think so, and I've kind of been really lucky to um, have been given some kind of amazing opportunities in, in great buildings. So it felt like I had to just absorb everything, and all of that has really helped in this experience as well, and kind of being in such an amazing building working within a team I kind of yeah have, have witnessed other people doing that mm. um, so I think it's helped well, what was that first opportunity that you got then after you finished at E15 and after you finished at the the director's course at the NT studio what was your first gig so to speak well I think I've sort of done it slightly back to front I guess in that with Snuffbox we just we made lots of stuff and with other companies I made things too so um, one of the first things that we made a snuffbox was Bitch Boxer, which we went up to Edinburgh with, and it did it did really well there, and ended up kind of going on quite a long journey of touring and in London and internationally. So a lot of those first years were just just making stuff and kind of making stuff, I guess, from instinct and, um, and having fun in, on, on quite a small scale. But but then I guess the the big thing that sort of unlocked a lot of other things, I guess, is um, I got a chance to work at the Royal Exchange. So I did, um, I got a Performing Arts Fund uh, BBC award that meant I could go up there and just spend about, I think it was about six, seven months in the end, where I got to assist Sarah Frankham on Hamlet. 
uh, I got to kind of make my own work and that was that was really fundamental I, mean, I, I learned so much I love that building mm. um, I now live in Manchester <laughs> kind of it's become hugely important to the journey that I've been on as has Sarah actually in supporting me um, and <coughs> And if you see the sort of the, the regeneration of Manchester in mm. recent years and, you know, fantastic new buildings like Home as well yeah. as, of course, the Royal Exchange and, and everything else that's now been in, in invested into Manchester, it must be such a, a hive of, of creative activity for you to be part yeah. of as well. It's re- I, I love it. I really do. I, do. I would like to spend a bit more time there <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. I've just finished a tour as well, six months away. But... Um, it's great and I think I think people often say oh you know it's like a smaller London and I really don't think it mm. is I think I love London and um, it's an incredible city but I think Manchester is Manchester and uh, has its own identity and its own artistic identity and it feels when you're when you're there to me it feels a place that is very exciting there's there's a lot of stories to tell and there's a lot of people kind of wanting to tell them in a really ambitious way so I feel like I really want to be part of that In what way do you think Manchester's got a different cultural identity <laughs> to London then? What what makes Manchester Manchester? Oh, it's just, it's not the same, I mean you come back to all the old cliches I suppose mm. but um, it's got it's got good like northern grit to mm. it <laughs> and, um, and uh, it has kind of an honesty that I really like like it feels to me, I'm sure you can find it in places, but it feels like it lacks a pretentiousness that I really enjoy and it's kind of straight up and you can have quite honest, frank conversations with people um, who aren't too impressed by what you do, actually. Mm. <laughs> They're just like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then you can get chatting. Mm. Um, and that feels, you know, London, I was here for nearly 10 years and I, like I say, I love it, but there's a different energy in London that can, that can become more consuming and especially in the theatre world, you can end up just being in this really small bubble. I kind of, you know, we talk a lot about, I guess, an echo chamber at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, and I was definitely part of that. And since moving to Manchester, feels like life is slightly more, I guess, there's more balance in it, which I think is quite helpful for a theatre maker because I want to tell stories that are about, you know, not just theatre makers and people in theatre. You you, uh, you you talked about this echo chamber that exists mm. in theatre, and um, I think that's definitely true. Do you think that it's your job then as a director, as someone that presents stories, to try and break this echo chamber? And if so, how do we break that? Mm. Yeah, I totally. I think I'm really... I mean, another reason that I moved to Manchester was because I've said for years that I'm, I don't want to become London centric, and I'm interested in work not outside, just not just in London. I want to work here too. But, um, and then I was here for nearly ten years, <laughs> and kind of was like, oh. And then I felt really scared when we made the decision to move. I was like, oh god, and so I realised I had totally become like that. Um, but I think it is. I feel like it is my job to be able to, to kind of, like I say, not make work that's just for people that already come to the mm. theatre and what I love about well Manchester and other places too is that there's a really bespoke relationship with the audience which feels slightly different to a lot of the relationships that you might have like London's so spoiled we can go mm. and when I was here I didn't you know I'd have theatres I might go to more than others but generally I kind of go wherever um, but, you know people come to the exchange and they come and see everything or and they can be stretched and they can be you know they can be guided by a program and that feels really crucial and so I always have a little thing in the back of my head as well that uh, I should be able to make a piece of work that can sit in, in Stoke or can mm. sit, you know, with the people that I grew up with and then not be too kind of like, what is this? Mm. Well, what about your tours then? Where mm. where do you take your work? 
been all over actually. Um, so with within England, we've kind of travelled. We've done Plymouth and Bristol and Hull and up to Scotland and um, done lots of the southeast because we toured with House um, Theatre um, Company, who they yeah they toured the southeast um, from kind of really beautiful sort of buildings like the Sheffield Crucible to to kind of village halls in Cornwall. <laughs> it's like a proper a proper mix and that's just fascinating too and do you ever notice a difference in um what an audience takes from a piece that what might mm. go down well in a village hall in cornwall mm. might not go down well in a in a center in in hull yeah completely i think yeah totally one of the most moving experiences i think i've had was in buxton where we took uh, a show it wasn't with snuffbox actually it was with little soldier productions and um, we made a show called you and me about two elderly sisters um and it had kind of it's a physical comedy essentially but it as the story unravels it was about dementia um, and kind of coping with that and in Buxton we had we had uh, the Dementia Society come and kind of curate an evening for us and that was really fascinating and there was a guy in the audience um, that he brought his wife with him and she was um, in quite advanced stages of dementia and he'd never spoken to anyone about his experiences of kind of becoming her carer and and the strain on him and he was sat in amongst uh, an audience with full of people from his area and after the show we kind of did a Q&A and he, he, he talked to them about it for the first time and that was kind of amazing actually that that's something I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that from that event maybe something shifted and he felt like he could reach out or communicate yeah wow so so you're your performances, then they 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 do try and um, you know, the productions that you make, they do try and t- they tell these stories, so that they try and mm. um, provide a space for communities across the country to to say, hang on a second, this is something which resonates with me. Yeah, is that the work that you try and make? That's the hope, I think. For me, whenever I, I you know I love so much stuff, but I think what's the, the measuring stick for me is if I get moved in some way and it doesn't matter how I get moved it might be moved to, to anger to tears to laughter whatever but if something is stirred up inside of me and as in my experiences that's when I'm most likely to take action whether it's tiny little things you know like not buying heels anymore because <laughs> they're really uncomfortable or you know bigger changes or um, that's when I that's when I do them is if I'm, I'm moved in some way and so that's it's really simple for me in, in lots of ways the work that I want to make that feels like a basic requirement um, for me. And also, increasingly, I'm becoming more aware that I want my work to to, 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 well, to, to do something socially, I suppose, or to explore something socially. Um, so would you describe your work as political? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's the politics of people rather mm. than you know, delving into politics, if you mm. know what I mean. It's, and like I say, I'm kind of a bit on a journey with that where I'm, I used to just say, no, I just want to tell stories, I just want to tell good stories. And I think, yeah, I'm just becoming more aware that I want to reflect the society we live in and to tell tell stories from people that maybe haven't um, haven't had the opportunity to hear their, mm-hmm. to have their story told before. And that's what I love about trade, actually, is that, you know, the, the character of the local um, in Jamaica or the Caribbean, I've never heard, I've never heard that character's story before, which feels like a brilliant platform to then suddenly be able to to talk about that so let's talk about trade then so um 
by Debbie Tucker Green, which mm. you're currently directing at the moment at the Young Vic as part of the Genesis Future Directors Award. What what attracted you to that play? When you read that play, did you have in your head an idea of what it would look like on a stage? <laughs> so when I read the play, and I told Debbie this too, <laughs> met her, I did not understand it <laughs> at all. Like really didn't understand it to the point where I nearly... Um, considered ringing up the young Vic and being like I'm so sorry I can't come to the interview because I don't mm. I can't and then uh, my partner was like read it again read it out loud and I did and suddenly I was like okay and read it sort of eight more times and started to be like oh and so the first thing is it's really really hard the way that she writes is it's so I love it now and it's so kind of bold there's very little for a director in terms of you know there's no there's no stage directions as such mm. um and there's no in this is a, you know there's no scene change the scene changes or breaks or anything it's just whoosh, 90 pages of kind of complex intricate dialogue that overlaps but as soon as you start kind of wrestling with it it's it's incredible because it just it just opens and opens and opens and debbie said to me and i i absolutely kind of took it to heart was you have to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with it that's the only way to kind of really get anything from it and it's a play about well sex tourism mm. basically with 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 three women yeah. and obviously there's deeper issues which are explored within that do you think that it had to be a woman that directed this play i don't you know i don't know i kind of i don't think so um i think it'd just be a different production mm. and i think it would i don't know i think we're all capable of empathy and compassion so i think i think we get in a bit of a tricky situation if we start going okay well I can only direct things that are about women mm. and things that are inside of my experience because also trade is, is not within my experience mm. either. It's, you know, um, but I think it's about assembling a team mm. and being collaborative in a way that you can you can wrestle with the story and, and try and, and tell it in, in, in the most authentic way that you feel like you can. So how do you achieve that collaboration then? Because it sounds to me like it takes a lot of bravery to, to say to a creative team, I don't know enough mm. about this issue, therefore I need people around me yeah. to, to let me know about it. It's just always, it's the way that I see it always is that if you can assemble a, a great team, so I was really lucky that um, Charlotte Sutton, the casting director, and myself, we've got some amazing people in the room and the three actors that we've ended up with are brilliant. And so, I mean, that's half the battle for me. Mm. And then also I was able to put together a, a lovely and, and fantastic creative team. So I already know that within the room there, there are brains and people mm. that I'm really excited by and I trust. And I know that I've got to lead that, but at the same time, I, why would I not use those brains? Mm. <laughs> um, and so I think for me it's about, and I guess this maybe comes from training as an actor, but it's about creating a rehearsal environment that is open and playful and that we feel like we can we can take risks and, and like fail and all of that stuff. Um, so how was that rehearsal process then? What kind of uh, workshops or preparation did you do to try and get your, your teeth, you know, as, as Debbie Tucker Green said to you, you know, roll yeah. your sleeves up and, and get stuck in. How did you get stuck in? I read it about a million times. <laughs> no, I know that sounds really basic, but seriously, I just, I, I read it, 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 and I kind of, I think I know it now. <laughs> it's just in my head. Um, and I, in the room, I like to be quite um, informal, mm. I suppose, is the way to describe it. And we have a lot of fun and um, it's very open. But actually, my prep work, I'm, I'm kind of, I think I surprise people, actually. I'm, quite, I'm really serious about it and quite rigorous about it that I just, I you know, I do all of the all of the text work so that we don't have to do it in the room. 
Um, and actually in this play, and it's, you know, it's just simple stuff really, but one of the biggest uh, challenges was just breaking the thing down into what I call, you know, rehearsal chunks, just sections that we're going to rehearse it to. Um, and that took so long. <laughs> but actually it was worth, it's not clear in the text often, but that it was really worth doing. And, and the shifts that we find in the production, sort of 90% of them are actually those shifts mm. that are kind of, we identified in the text. Um, and then just loads and loads of research, you know, um, loads of kind of documentaries um, about Jamaica, the history of Jamaica. I decided to set it in Jamaica and about kind of what's happened in terms of economically um, as an island there and how that's impacted. And then looking, trying to get inside the head of these women that are going over to Jamaica and having these relationships with these men, trying not to be judgmental mm -hmm. about it. That was a big thing for me. Um, and trying to remain open to okay, what is it that means that 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 behaviour we that is firstly is a thing that we can do, and why are we doing it, and what's happening here in England to mean that those women want to do that, and you know all of all of this, and then trying to also look at the wider implications of that behaviour. Try not to be judgmental. Mm. I guess that's something that directors should always be in all of their pieces. Yeah. Would you say that uh, that you should just always be open when making? I think so. I think you know you. If you if you're too judgmental, I think then you kind of remove a possibility of empathy. And what's great about trade and what Debbie's written is that it's not, you know, there's no clear winner here. There's mm. no, I don't know if there's a clear victim. I mean, I th well, I don't know if there's a clear perpetrator. They all have the potential and the capacity to be both in any one moment. And what's such a delight, I think, is that we switch, we switch sides and we kind of agree with one mm. person and then totally feel, God no. Um, so I think I had to remain open and curious as to those reasons in order to kind of get that. Especially, I think, you know, the younger character, the novice, who is sort of goes over to Jamaica, it's a holiday, so what, I paid for it. And in sort of 90% of her dialogue, she's completely unapologetic about her behaviour. But then there's just this little bit that she mentions, kind of her mum, that is wonderful. Again, Debbie doesn't go into, she never comes back to, but it's just enough to give you... A clue or a sort of little opening in her armour that there's something else there. Mm. And I don't want to call you an emerging director because I think you're a <laughs> you director, <laughs> a director who you know has emerged, let's say, um, into something else. Uh, but have you learnt something over the course of the rehearsal period and, and uh, the the production of trade, which you're going to sort of take on for your for your future work? Do you think, or are you, or is being a director a period of constantly learning, constantly evolving? I think both. Um, I mean, to the first bit of the question, definitely yes. I I have. I mean, we're still in the middle of the run, so it's still um, I haven't really had a time to reflect on it yet. I'm kind of looking forward to going back to Manchester and going, yeah. oh, okay. God, what was that? <laughs> and kind of doing all of that. But, I mean, I know I have. I mean, I think any time you get in a room and you're having to... you make to make something and to lead a process, you will learn. You mm. just you just will. Um, and the team here, and kind of from stage management to production management to crew, have, have been incredible. And that's that's been something I've definitely kind of um, enjoyed working within. And I think, yeah, you're right. I think the day that, it's, you know people have said it before but the day that you stop learning or that you think that's done now mm. I think will be the day to stop it must be great to have that team around you here at the Young Vic because I've, I've read another interview with you where you've said you've <laughs> you've <laughs> where you've I've done my research <laughs> you've said that you've driven vans you've oh, rigged yeah. lighting you've booked that's tours true. you've stage managed yeah. you've swept floors but, and here you've kind of 
got that happening mm. for you as a director. So yeah. what, it's it's something to be appreciative of, I guess. Uh, hugely. Yeah, my friend came the other night and, and she was like, you you seem like kind of quite chilled. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah. And she was like, is that, why is that? Uh, like, not, is that because mm. this, this feels like it's, you know, you're really happy with this or whatever. And I was like, you know, I think it's because I'm just doing my job. Mm. Um, and with with snuff but i think it's really important that we've done all that stuff and, mm. and also when i say on record that i've done it probably not very well, as well <laughs> do you know what i mean like i've tried to produce and i'm not very good at it and i find it really hard and same with stage management but what it has done is given me an appreciation of what everyone else's roles are and that strong sense that i really need them and i really want them um and i think that's really important and has it led to an appetite to do more uh, directing in a venue rather than on tour? Is there something about being on tour? You know, you mentioned yeah. Buxton. There was something uh, special for you to mm. see how different audiences, mm. depending on the regions they're in, engage with a piece. Yeah. Or, or being in a venue, it's just a lot easier. Which one? Both. 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 <laughs> yeah, I kind of... And that's the great thing about this job is that the experiences are so varied. But, yeah, for all those reasons, I love touring. But also there's something about making a piece of work for a building mm. that um, how specific you can be, I suppose, in terms of your design as well, that you're not having to try and make a one-fit-all version of it. You're just making the version that sits in that space um, with this team. And that's that's really nice. And also it allows the piece to settle in, in kind of, I think, in a more accelerated way than if you're constantly on the move and let's go back to snuffbox then that you you just mentioned are you tempted to ever go back to performing no no <laughs> no I, no not at all actually i'm really but it, it must have been quite a jump though because when you're performing you've got a there's, there's a camaraderie there of you yeah. and your fellow performers and then all yeah. of a sudden as a director it's it's quite lonely isn't it that you yeah. are you are the one in charge a bit like being a football manager of Stoke City <laughs> yeah. that you you know are you going to be a Mark Hughes figure are you allowed to uh, be a friend of, of the of the players yeah. or are you are you their boss you know mm, and that's always that's an interesting as a, as a young director that's an interesting dynamic to manage is that how much you're a friend and how much you're kind of having made difficult decisions and something I'm still learning about I think um, but no I'm not tempted to be a performer again I think it became really clear to me that all of the journey of training as an actor was I didn't realise it but was to I think make um, from a directing point of view um, I do, I know as an ad, when I was training as an actor I'd do things like be in a scene and I'd be kind of doing the scene and then be like oh, can we just oh, that scene changes really like I just don't think it makes sense <laughs> and director would be like why do you care just don't worry just be a job I'd say, okay no but that scene changed and a director at East 15 once told me I was going oh, I don't know I feel like I'm not sure what I want and she just went you're a storyteller it's that simple and that was really helpful so. But has that changed the dynamic slightly of Snuffbox? That, you know, when you started out mm. from East 15, it was a company of people doing all of the different bits to, mm. to put on a show, and now you are the director. <laughs> has that changed anything? Um, I think we're just growing up a little mm. bit. And, um, and you know, Charlie and Dan, they, they used to direct stuff too, and both of them have kind of gone, no, actually for us it's about writing and it's about performing. And I've gone, no, it's about directing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose it has changed, but it's this, the reason we all want to make work together, I think, has remained. And actually the way in which we make work together, I think, has, has stayed, s- stayed the same. And actually now, uh, with our latest piece, Blush, which I didn't direct, and so we got the chance to bring in a great other director, Ed Stambulian, and that was a really brilliant moment for us as a company to go, I can't direct everything that we do, and that's not actually very interesting as a company, I don't think, either. Mm. So it shifts all the time. 
And what's what next for Snuffbox then? What what are you working on with them? Well, we're taking um, Blush, our latest piece, which um, it's really nice. It's written by Charlie, and it's Charlie and Dan. Um, so the other two artist directors who they're in it and that's that's, that's been the first time I think since we've been in training mm. that those guys have actually been in something together uh, so that's going on I think it's coming to London I don't think I can say where yet <laughs> <laughs> and it's going on and tour um, mm-hmm. so we're going to do that and um, and hopefully we're in the process of kind of making some plans to make some new stuff too mm-hmm. because Bitch Boxer was such a, a, a f- I don't want to say breakthrough for for Snuffbox because you had other work before that, but it was such a huge hit, wasn't it, for you? Were you su- not surprised, perhaps, but were you pleased with the with I the response it got? Totally surprised. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleased. We just, yeah, we. Um, I mean, I think it was one of those pieces that, it, for whatever reason, it all aligned. That it was, you know, it was the right time for it with the Olympics and mm. um, and all of that. But we, you yeah, know, we locked ourselves in a room. At least fifteen after we were graduated, mm. we weren't getting paid, and we were all doing restaurant jobs and stuff in the meantime. Um, it totally took us by surprise, mm. and you know, there's loads of stuff we do differently now that we kind of, if if that happened again or that we do do differently, um, but it was incredible. And as I, I still meet people that have seen it that I had no idea, mm. which is really wonderful. And Soho Theatre came came calling, did they? Yeah. Um, so Charlie was she was on the. Um, in the young writers company at that point too so that's kind of how the relationship started with them but it was amazing after you know I don't think it, I don't think it was even a year was it a year out of drum school I can't remember that we were at Soho Theatre and kind of <laughs> getting emails to the office <laughs> responding in our bedroom <laughs> like you know it goes bizarre amazing things that um, it's, it's steep steep learning curve it must have been Bitchboxer that made you and the rest of the company realise actually perhaps we're not emerging after all. Perhaps we're, <laughs> perhaps we're we're fully fledged. I don't know. And <laughs> other stuff that mm. uh, Snuffbox have been getting up to in recent mm. years, you know, with um, your work with rural communities as well. You took a mm. was it Wield that you took to? Uh, well, Wield was we did it at the Fimbra in mm. um, association with the Royal Exchange, um, and it kind of it looked at. Um, a situation where there's two men in a rural area and a lot of our work it seems at the moment is becoming increasingly about gender and Mm. about um, the minefield that is gender and how that is changing and how to navigate that and how uh, for us part of the conversation of feminism is how we're treating young men and and so we'll just very much look at two men that couldn't quite talk um set in a very rural setting so it's incredibly different to Bitch Boxer mm. in that sense um, and it, that was really it was really wonderful to do that actually it was really different for me um, and the text was so rich so yeah I think you know we'd like to actually take that rurally at some point mm. I think um, we didn't get we didn't do that this time I think everything was so mm. busy but well, that that be different to you know working at the Young Vic or working in Manchester. You yes. know, it's a completely different kettle of fish, isn't it? Taking mm. theatre to to communities which perhaps have yeah. less opportunity for cultural provision. Yeah, completely. Mm. And one of the I think the saddest um, things in that process that I you know known thing that the biggest killer of young men I think from I think it's like eighteen to fifty is suicide. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest uh, groups at risk are farmers in rural areas that are in these kind of incredibly isolated positions literally um, and then unable to because it's still wrapped up in a very masculine um, environment un- unable to express their feelings and uh, taking their own lives so that felt it was Gosh. yeah it was 
It was really wonderful. And what was nice about that after Bitch Boxer, where we, you know, Bitch Boxer didn't just appeal to women, but after that, we had lots of chats with young women about, um, and they, a lot of people said that they felt empowered to go in either right or, you know, I don't know, do something. But after Wheeled, we had lots of conversations with men kind of coming up to us and being like, that's me and my dad. I like, I need to go and ring him. Mm. Or um, people feeling actually really frustrated by the inability for these two men to communicate. Yeah, that that shows the, the the power of your work. I guess it's just like the case of the elderly couple in Buxton that you know people saying that I need to ring my dad as a result of mm. seeing your your work. It kind of shows the the power or the potential of of storytelling mm. in 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 highlighting these these issues, which mm. are otherwise kind of there's so much taboo around them, isn't there? There's yeah. uh, to to make people sit up and take notice. Completely, and it was you know it was written by Dan, um, who's the other. <laughs> the, the other third of the snuff box and um, it was in really it was incredibly personal piece for him so it was actually it felt very um, at times even though it was all going well it felt quite a difficult process because every night it was kind of we were watching this very personal thing that had been taken away and given to two characters but um, and that was interesting that we did that in the same year as Blush so you know again just two two looks at, at gender really um, and as I say that seems to be something that we're all I don't know if it's where we are as, as a society or where we are as people or our age or whatever, but it seems to be something that's kind of we keep coming back to as a company at the moment. Yeah, so gender just keeps cropping up in, in <laughs> yeah. your work. So is that is that a, a deliberate decision or it's just um, something that happens accidentally, that these are plays, these are things, these are stories that I want to talk about and it just happens to be that gender is intrinsic to it? Yeah, I don't think I was conscious of it um, a few years ago, actually, um, and lately I really have become aware of it um, and aware of how I how I sit within that too, um, and it feels like it is such a driving force around everyone I know. I think you know there's there's huge feelings of dissatisfaction in terms of how we're treated as women and how and you know and how how men are feeling too. So I think it feels like an obvious thing for us to to keep probing, and it's hugely complex. I can't even I don't think we begin to scratch the surface in lots of ways. Um, but it's, it's not exclusive like in terms of what we're interested in but definitely it's something that you might explore again in the future but who I think knows so. who knows yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, these podcasts are listened to by um, people that want to become directors mm. as well and it sounds like despite having to go back to saying that you are emerging <laughs> it sounds like you have done a, a hell of a lot including of course currently at the Young Vic with Trade mm. what advice would you give to younger people mm. who want to become directors and also what are the realities of mm. being a director I think I mean the first thing is I think there is no one way to do this and I think you know you the journey that I've gone on is different to other people that I know everyone that I've met we were on a different track but I think for me there was something about um not having to wait for the phone to ring about doing it myself um about making our own work, which was really difficult in the beginning because you're looking at, you know, how do you afford that? Um, and the realities are that you're going to be doing a lot of work just to just to get by in terms of, you know, we, like I say, restaurant jobs and things like that are the realities. But the way that I managed it was that I'd work in the, in the restaurants or Friday, Saturday, sun, Sunday double shifts, and then I'd work Monday to Thursday on my own projects. And my rule was, because it can get, um, you know, when you're not quite doing what you want to be doing 
it can, it can be really hard. And my one rule was as long as I have something that I'm working on, whether it's something that's tangible and we're going up to the Edinburgh Fringe or whatever, or actually maybe it's just that I'm going, I want to read five plays by such and such a time. If I always had that one thing, I could do throw as many hours at the other work as you give me just to keep my rent going and I'd um I'd I'd be able to still remain kind of focused and positive. Um but I think when you're making your own work and you know assisting is amazing that's really worthwhile too but there's something about you know I get more nervous and like a 20 minute piece that I've been working on in in a room full of 20 people than I would do assisting on quite a big scale I think I think it's good to put yourself in that position of fear because you learn you learn the most about yourself and you learn what who you are as a maker and how you respond to that so that's my, I think, in whatever way, make, 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 make. And so it's about being proactive rather than reactive, is it? Yeah, I think so. And to be open to, you know, just don't know how things are going to work out. Loads of things that have happened to me, I look back and go, God, that's like almost accidental or mm. just bizarrely fortuitous how mm. that's happened. So you just can never pre-plan it. So just align yourself with a direction and, and try and hit it as hard as you can. And what about your time as an assistant director? Because it's quite interesting. Did... did was there ever a, a time when the director had made a decision which you as a director disagreed with? And how do you vocalise that? Or do you vocalise that? Because I'm, I'm sure that in the room you're feeling slightly <laughs> nervous. You're thinking, I want yeah. to be a director. I don't want to, you know, mm. be seen as arrogant or whatever. But mm. I, I think that, that, that I would do something differently. I think it completely depends on your relationship with the director. Um, and I've been really lucky with, I haven't done loads of assisting, but I've done uh, kind of three or four with brilliant people. And Sarah Frankham in Manchester she's kind of unique in the way that when I did Hamlet with her I didn't you know she I think she'd seen bitch box and we didn't know each other very well and she was just like right you do the player section <laughs> I was like okay cool and or she'd sort of go as a provocation she'd be like okay I'm gonna leave for an hour you direct you know Maxine Peake or whoever for an hour and see and I'll come back and watch it so she was incredible and her lack of um, ego in that process is incredible so I think I felt and I, you know, I very much agreed with all of her decision, decisions actually but um, I feel like she created a space and that it was totally okay to, to collaborate and, to, and if she asked me I'd talk openly um, and other processes you realise that um, you're there more to support or so it's reading the situation and understanding the strains or uh, the pressures what that the director is under and working out how you can how you can help <laughs> in a really basic level and that was one actually something I assisted on that I was kind of going oh god I can't quite work out where I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to be doing and then my friend said to me have you asked the director if there's anything that you can do <laughs> <laughs> I was like no <laughs> like so basic so simple but I went in the next day and went like do you need anything like can I do anything for you even if that's going to get a coffee because you haven't had a chance to have a breakfast or whatever um, but it's a, it's a tough one assisting because there isn't um, there isn't like a job description that really captures it all mm. it's very much you've just got to find your place completely. and that's different for each show totally and it, you know what's really interesting as well is how you then build up trust with actors because if, if you haven't been a vocal person in the room or you know but then you're trying to go in and give notes to, to people negotiating that and how you and my my thing is always I try and play like the long game and I just you know don't try and force it and try and build up steady relationships and just talk to people and and go about it in that way rather than 
first day, bang, <laughs> here I am. Well, again, it sounds like your advice on future assistant directors is the same as your advice for future directors, which is just ask questions and, yeah. and be present. Yeah, be present, be curious yeah. and positive. And I think if you can get, you know, ego is involved, I mm. think, in a way. We have to have it, but um, as much as possible, if you can remove that when you're in the room. How did you get that gig, by the way, that 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 assistant role on on Hamlet? Then, because Sarah Frankham had seen um, Bitch Boxer, oh, okay, and then me and Dan applied with Wheel, which we en- we just totally spoken about. Bizarrely, we ended up applying for an award at the Royal Exchange when that was just a monologue, I think, and we got shortlisted, which was amazing. We ended up going up there and didn't get it, but had a great time. And she rang me, kind of a week after, and went, "Would you be interested in coming up with us?" spending seven months with us are like years <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> so that's how that happened I've got a, a question for you which is slightly different but I'm really interested in, mm. in hearing your thoughts on this as a fellow football fan and <laughs> theatre maker yes. theater, oh, and I'm really? a theatre goer um, <laughs> do you get frustrated like I do when people say oh well you know theatre is elitist theatre mm. is for the for the top and, and football this is really for, for everybody and, and despite the fact that football is far more expensive than theatre mm. What can we do to kind of make theatre seen as open for everybody as as, as footballers? Do you see yeah, what I mean? Totally. And then, you know, it's it's a big thing, isn't it? Because there's something about football and, there's, you know what, as two football fans, <laughs> um, there's so much wrong with football that we, mm. we know that, mm. you know, that's really obvious. But fundamentally, it's a place where it feels like people can go and express themselves yeah. and have this communal experience. And I'm always I'm exactly the same thing, going, what is it about theatre? Because you're right, it's cheaper. And, and I think maybe it's it's a hangover from maybe how theatre used to be. You know, we'd all go in our glad rags and yeah. whatever. And But I think it's trying to shift that perception of it. And a big way to do that is to making sure that the work that we're making is representative of, of you know, where we are. So, if people are seeing people like themselves on stage, um, and seeing stories, their stories on stage, I think that instantly kind of makes you go, okay, well, this isn't. I'm invited into this, and the Royal Exchange is fascinating because, you know, the building itself is so kind of big and grand and kind of beautiful, but quite potentially intimidating. Mm. You know, if you don't feel that that is a place for you and they're aware of that and they do incredible work especially with their young company about going into schools going into youth groups and making it really clear that you are welcome to come here to to come and hang out in you know in the building itself and engage so i think we i think we have to be proactive within it rather than just letting it naturally Mm. occur i think we have to be like battering down Mm. doors and be like you're welcome come um and has your football, um, your football brain, ever influenced your your director's brain? <laughs> have you ever uh, have you ever kind of tried to marry the two? I mean, the two passions. We play keep it up <laughs> every day. <laughs> um, yeah. Stoke City should try doing that actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think yeah we do actually. Uh, but uh, this pl- this piece we did we play keep it up every single day and we kind of did uh, fast five word association games as well because it's so fast the piece and the way the mm-hmm. text moves. And, you know, I think you're trying to build a company and there's nothing like... I still have really potent memories of being 16 years old and being part of a team and, and you know, someone scoring a goal in, <laughs> in whatever minute. And that, that sense of yeah, camaraderie, which is not unique to theatre or sport, but is kind of universal. That's when, that's when things get, get done and when 
things get exciting, I think. So, Bryony, we've spoken about uh, your work with Snuffbox Theatre. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about trade. What about you as a director? What are you up to next? Um, well, immediately, I'm reading. Um, <laughs> so I've got a long, long list of plays to get through. Um, some of that I've got to report back on for theatres, um, but also just that I want to read for myself um, because I really want to take a bit of a break now. I've been kind of non-stop for a few years, which has been amazing, but I need to take a little bit of time out and figure out proactively what it is that I want to want to do next and so that I can kind of be having conversations with people um, being like, what about this? And um, being positive like that. Um, and then next year I'm back at the exchange doing a project with a young company which I can't wait for and there's other little bits and bobs on the horizon I have no idea if they're going to they're gonna drop hmm. but um, yeah we'll see <laughs> well I wish you Snuffbox and uh, Stoke City all <laughs> yeah. the very best thank of luck thank you so much for chatting it's been That's really interesting cool. thank you thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic if you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes <laughs> <laughs>